Well, hello, everybody. It is so good to see you today. Would you stand, please? We worship the Lord this morning, and we're glad you're here with us today at Crossroads to lift our voices up to the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the one who loves our souls.
Amen. You guys can have a seat. Good morning. Glad you guys are here. Welcome, welcome. Thanks for joining us online as well. Hey, listen, we got some things to talk about, okay? And so let's uh, let's let's work for a few things that are coming up. One is going to welcome our guests. If, if you are our guest this morning, if you're online, let us know. We'd love to connect with you. If you're here in the building, please stop by the Welcome Center. We have a gift for you by just saying thanks for being here with us this morning. Um, but listen, we have a lot of things that ha- are coming up, and so I want to make sure that we're we're, we're staying in line because, listen, our schedules are picking up. Fall kickoff is happening. So our C groups are forming. So if you would like to be a part of a group, there's two different ways you can be a part of a group. One, you can host a group. So if you would like to facilitate discussion and, and help connect people, and we'll do all the hard work. You just got to open up your place, have a heart for people, serve some snacks, or ask somebody to bring snacks, and then go to our website, and we'll give you all the information how to have a successful group. So... If you would like to host a group on the Connect card in front of you, just say, hey, I'd like to host a group or I'd like to join a group. So the groups are forming. We're, pe- we're putting people together, and we're going to be launching on the 19th of September. So mark your calendars for our C group launch. It's going to be a really, really great time. And so, it, listen, we'd love to connect with you, so use those cards in front of you. Um, our fall kickoff, so that's going to be men's and women's Bible studies. That's going to be children's ministry, student ministry, middle school, Route 56, uh, and our children's ministry are going to be launching on the 7th of September, so come on out. Um, our men's Bible study, we're going to be uh, starting a, a brand new series based off the 33 series we've been doing, uh, specifically talking about uh, a man in his traps. And so we're going to be starting that on September 7th at 6.30, so men, come on out. And then our growth track, so if you have been a part of our Next Steps membership class Our Next Step membership class is all about helping people get connected and make this church their own and become members here. And so this is the next step. This is the second step on that track in helping uh, develop spiritual habits and and being an active, uh, committed uh, grower, a follower follower of Christ. And so Step 201 is going to happen on September 18th, and that's going to be a four-week, one-hour class. It's going to meet during the 930 service, and it's going to go for four weeks. So... Uh, if you've been to Next Steps, sign up for Step 201. You can do it online, or you can just write, I'd like to join that Step 201 class um, in the, the card in front of you, the Connect card, and then drop it off in the offering box or give it to the people at the Welcome Center, and then they'll get you signed up for that class. So that is going to be Step 201. And then also, too, I want to bring up John Mimittis. Uh John is going to share a little bit about something that God's burned to his heart and what he's doing at Light of Life. So you guys welcome John. Thank you. Uh, so about a year ago, um, a, uh, an artist named Kevin Patterson approached the executive director at Light of Life. Um, he he was he had a vision. He, he wanted to make a cross for our chapel. He wanted to make the cross from from scrap wood that was going to be discarded. Um, the, the idea was that he, he wanted it to resemble the kingdom of God so that everything all these broken considered unusable pieces are glued together and made strong on the cross the executive director uh, just looked at him and said I need you to meet John Mimittis sounds like that idea came out of his head so, so he introduced us and Kevin and I have become great friends but um, we started the project um, Good Friday of this year, and we aim to have it finished on Good Friday, uh, this coming Good Friday. 
um, but the, uh, the the boards of the cross. Um, what we've done is we we began to go around to the different um, meetings and different events that Light of Life had, and began to have people write prayers, and thoughts, verses, whatever it be, on the, on the boards, so that as we glued everything together, it would be bound in these prayers. We took it to um, the Pittsburgh Praise event um, after getting things from all the Light of Life staff and all of those uh, Light of Life events. We took it to the Pittsburgh Praise event, and we began to get prayers there from the church community. So uh, our church, uh, being a church that supports uh, Light of Life, I brought some of the boards here today. They're actually the, the last uh, 10 or 12 boards uh, that we're gathering prayers on. Um, so what I'd like to ask is please on your way out, uh, if you can stop by, I have a table out there. I could talk to you a little bit more about the Cross Project, have some pictures for you to see. And um, if you could just write a prayer on the boards. Um, I don't want to go back to Light of Life not having these boards filled up with prayers because uh, I, I, I made big promises for our church. So make sure we fill those boards up with prayers. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Sean. Humbled to be a part of a project like this. So please, as you're on your way out, please stop and talk to John. And would you please write something on those boards and just know that it's it's going to make an impact for years to come. So what a tremendous, tremendous opportunity. Church, I also just want to say thank you for your faithfulness in giving uh, online through the mail, the boxes on the wall. God has been good to us. Thank you for being faithful uh, on our mission. We're seeing people's lives changed by Christ. We've been changed, and we want to see more people's lives changed by Christ. So thank you for being on mission with us. Church, would you stand as we continue in worship this morning?
has risen from the grave, died on the cross, rose from the grave for each one of us. He is wanting us to ask him for forgiveness for our sins that we've committed against him. But then he's made a way for us to be free and to have joy and peace. And that is through cross. So just take a moment. Thank him for what he's done for you. Maybe lay your burdens at the altar right now. And allow God to forgive and to pick up those burdens for you so that you can be free from whatever trial or tribulation is holding you captive this morning. He loves you so much. He loves you unconditionally. He loves you more than anyone. And I want you to just know that today. So just spend a few moments just talking with the Lord this morning and thanking him for what he's done. Lord Jesus, I come to you this morning, Lord. Thank you so much that you allow us to come directly to your altar, Lord. We can talk with you every day with every breath that we breathe, Lord. We want to thank you so much for just allowing us to come freely, unashamed, Lord God, before you, being able to bring our burdens, our trials, our tribulations, the things that we've done wrong, the words that we've said wrong, We can bring them to you and lay them at the altar and know that you will always forgive when we ask for forgiveness from a great almighty God. I want to thank you so much, Lord, for just being a risen Lord and Savior that we actually can proclaim that to the world of who you are, Lord. And so again, this morning, just thank you for being here with us, Lord, and thank you again for being the great I am, the one that loves our souls, the one that cares about us more than anyone so deeply. Help us to just come to the altar each day and meet with you, Father. It will change our lives. Amen.
Some are in the Psalms. At least you know there's a new series coming up, right? Because summer is just about done. We've got one more week left, and I think next weekend is the ramp-up of summer as we practically see it in Pittsburgh, right? But uh, we've been talking about summer in the Psalms. We've been looking at God's Word, and I hope that you've been encouraged. I hope you've been challenged as you see from the Psalms just about every emotion, every situation, every circumstance that you will be in or will experience in your life, you're going to find it in the book of Psalms. And uh, today we're going to pick up, we're going to be reading in Psalm 63 in just a few moments. But uh, Psalm 63 is, uh, is something that I, I was thinking about this question here as I was reading it. Have you ever felt like giving up? I mean, have you ever looked at your job? Have you ever looked at your marriage? Have you looked at, ever looked at anything that you're going through and the, the troubles were surmounting, the, the things were so high, you just felt like, man, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can keep moving forward. I don't know if I, can, if I have the energy to, to do this. I, I mean, you, you just feel like giving up. Psalm 63 is about a wilderness experience. You know, there's many times that we will go through a wilderness experience in your life. You will face the wilderness. If you're not in one now, it will be coming. There are good times. There are bad times. There's a wilderness experience. And uh, the inscription above Psalm 63 says this. It says, a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. So he's out in the wilderness of Judah. He's in the desert. He's in this, in a, you know, a desert. There's no, there's nothing grows in a desert. It's, it's dry. It's a, a, a tough place to be. He's out in the wilderness, and he's out there because he is now the old David at this point. You had young David that ran from Saul before he was crowned the king. Now he's King David, and he's running from his own son, Absalom. If you were to go over into 2 Samuel 15, you'll see that Absalom is now coming after, and he's throwing a rebellion, and he flees David, and he gets his people that were still on his side to move out into the wilderness to save their lives. Now, how would you like to be going through a situation that tough in your life that you are facing the, uh, the threat from a son or a daughter? Could you imagine that? You're going through such a tough time that your threat is because your son is coming after you. And that was what was happening here. His son is coming after him, and now he is in the wilderness, and he's dealing with it. And what does he do? When life gets overwhelmed, when life gets hard, what does he do? I mean, this is a tough place to be. He starts out in Psalm 63, verse 1, says this. He cries out, he says, Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. He starts out with this concept, Oh God, you are my God. And he's crying out before the Lord. Uh, a pastor friend of mine shared this, uh, shared, uh, shared this passage when he was talking about the time he thought he was ready to quit the ministry. Uh, there was a tough time in his church. He was going through uh, a whole lot of problems. And he listed out all the problems. And he said, Man, I was not sure that I wanted to get up and keep preaching. He said, I wasn't sure that I wanted to keep doing the church. I wanted to go out and do something different. And he said, man, this is the scripture that got him. Because he turned around and he said, this was what he was missing. My God, oh God, you are my God. I will earnestly seek you. Because even as a pastor, you know, it's easy to seek the church to do well. It's easy to seek for things to be going good. It's easy to seek for our events to go as we plan them to go. But what he says here, the, the psalmist is crying out. David is crying out before the Lord. His son is, you know, he's hiding from his own son. And he cries out and says, oh, God, you are my God. 
Now listen, whenever you use the word my, it, it, re, it, it denotes it's yours. It's personal. It's close, right? If I say my Rhonda, you know I'm talking about my Rhonda, not your Rhonda, right? This is my Rhonda. I, I have kids, Carice and Kara, right? So if I say my Carice, my Kara, you know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about my Carice. Not that there's any other crease in the church, but you know it's my crease, right? You know my, all right? Uh, if you hear me talk about my dog, I'm sorry, I don't talk that way. That's my wife's dog, all right? So if you hear her say my dog, you know she's talking, that's her dog. It's not the neighborhood dog, it's her dog. It denotes a, pers- a close personal relationship. You, this is yours. This belongs to you. And the psalmist says here more than anything, oh God, you are my God, I will earnestly seek you. It's a covenant relationship with my God. And the first thing in your notes is this. You can know God personally. Like you can know him personally. God is a, he, he is God. And you can have a relationship with him I have a personal relationship with God, and I was just talking to him this morning, sitting down here on the front row before I come up. I have a friendship with God. He and I, we talk. Do you have that friendship with God? Do you know him personally? You know, many people know about God. Many people have gone to church all their life, and they could tell you all the, many of the different aspects of God. They could tell you about a lot of things from the Bible, but they don't know him. They haven't developed a relationship with him. You see, David says, oh, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I will seek you. That that word earnestly, some translations will translate it and say, early will I seek you. And I think it's appropriate. You can translate it either way from the Hebrew because when you're getting up early to seek anything, that's earnest, isn't it? Like you hear those guys that get up to pray at 3 in the morning. I've read about some of the old timers that would get up and pray from 3 to 5 in the morning. That's pretty earnest, I would say, right? That's, that's like with your soul. David is saying, I am seeking God. He is what I need. And he continues on there. Look what he says in the second half of the verse. He says, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Man, he's, he's in a desert already, and he says, and he uses this metaphor. He says, just like in the desert, I am dying for some water. Man, if I just had a drink of water, that's, he's saying, my desire for God. I want God to work. I want God to move in my life. And remember, he's out there. He's probably praying for protection, praying for strength, praying for so many things. But he was going to go to a deeper level than just getting those things. Um, there's an, uh, th- this was a great metaphor because, you know what, it tells us what it's like. You know, when, when, you're, when you are parched, you're thirsty, you're, you're, you're just, you haven't had water, you're in this dry land, you need water, what happens to you? Um, you have a sense of dying. It's like, man, I don't know if I'm going to make it. You take a dehydrated person, you give them water, and it changes everything. I've heard through the years different people have been dehydrated. They make it to the make it to the hospital and they, they get the fluid into them, right? And they get their rehydration. It's like, man, they had a night and day change. Well, this is what happens to us. We he says that I'm I'm like this. My soul thirsts for you and I even though I may have this sense of suffering, I may have a sense of 
longing like, man, there's a lot of suffering, but I'm still longing for you, Lord. So Isaiah 41:17 says, "The poor and needy seek water, but there is none. Your tongues fail for thirst. I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them." You see, the thirst can only be quenched by God. And what happens that many times in our life, we will come and we will face and we'll feel this separation from God and we try to quench our thirst with other things. We'll come and we'll say, man, you know, that water, I, 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 instead of coming and thirsting for the water of God, thirsting for him, we'll come and we'll say, well, you know what, as long as this thing over here happens, as long as my kids are all right, as long as my job is all right, as long as my finances are all right, ah, that's what doesn't make me happy. David was going to the next level. He was going a little bit deeper than that. Many things can make you have that sense of separation from God. You see, when, you, when he's saying, I'm thirsting for you, he says, man, I don't have you right now, but I'm thirsty for you. I have an appetite for you. God, I want that. I want you. And so, so as you're coming, for that, uh, coming to that water, what causes that sense of separation in our life sometimes? There's a number of things that can cause that sense of separation. Sometimes it can be a loss or a crisis. You're going through a dark time. You're out in the wilderness. It just seems like things will never get better, which, by the way, that's always a false statement. Remember that. If you're telling yourself things will never get better, that's always a false statement. Things, God is always working. God is always moving. But you may have that sense right now. Things will just never get better. You're dealing with loss. You're dealing with crisis. Maybe it can come uh, during a time, you may also experience this during a time of personal sin or failure in your life. You know, it's okay to fail. And God has made provisions when we sin. He says if we will confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. That's what God does for us. So as you come before the Lord, you may sense this little bit of distance. Maybe you're going through a rough time. You sense it there. Maybe it's... Decisions that you've made. You've made some actions. You have done some sin. There's sin in your life. You gotta, we have to deal with some of that. Uh, it can come as a result of being removed from other believers. You know, when you come and you remove yourself, you isolate yourself from other believers, it is never good. You cannot grow. You need the body of Christ to grow. Yeah, you can learn a lot of knowledge and you can do a lot of things by yourself, but you need the Bible, the body-believing group of Bible believers together. And as we grow in Christ together. See, the Bible's full of these things. It's called the one another's, one another's. And as you go to live out this faith, you have to know how to deal with one another. You see, I was talking to somebody the other day and they said, well, I have a friend and this friend... They, uh, they claim to follow Christ, but they don't do what he says. And I said, well, what do you mean? And this person was describing how that within their, within their friendship that this person did not understand the commands of God to relationally love, to forgive, to, uh, to care for other people. And I was like, wow, that's a very perceptive statement. They, they saw that something was missing there. We're thirsty for God. I want to remind you of this, too. We are thirsty for God. He says, I'm thirsty. My soul thirsts for you. We're thirsty for God because he found us, not because we found him. If you've never had a drink of this, you'll never know what you were missing. But you started this relationship with God. Mm, it's great. You're, you're, you're enjoying the, the wonder of the living water 
Jesus said that at the, to the woman at the well. The living water. You'll never be thirsty again. So, so you come and you drink of that. and mm, It's so good. And you started your relationship with God. And, man, you started to read his word. And you had an appetite for the word of God. You see, that's a good sign that you're a believer. If you want to know if you're really a believer, check your spiritual appetite. Do you desire the things of God? What is happening? Are you thirsty for him? Because he's found you. You see, I didn't find God. God found me. He found me many years ago, a little kid down in Dormont, right? He said, come on, you little crazy seven-year-old kid. Come on out here to this church. And God grabbed a hold of me. And I've been drinking of that living water ever since. But every now and then I think, well, you know, maybe I don't need that. And every now and then we go out we try to drink from other sources. And we try to say, well, if I, if I do this on my own, I'm, this is going to work out better. And God's like, ah, uh, you're missing it. And then I begin to get thirsty. And I desire that. Like I'm missing, I miss that time with God. So what you've got to do is you've got to come back and you've got to say, ah, God, you are my God. I will earnestly seek you. I'm going to earnestly, that's pretty devoted, isn't it? Like, I'm going to come after it. I'm going to go after this thing. I'm coming after God because I've already tasted it, and I know that i got to have it again. So you are thirsty for him because you've tasted him. And now you're in the wilderness, and you get a little thirsty. And it could be any one of those reasons. It could be because life is hard, and it feels so dark, and it feels so overwhelming. It could be because your sin is so dark, and your sin is so overwhelming. It could be any number of things. And your first thought, where do you go? David is in the wilderness. It's a dark time. He didn't cause this. His son is coming after him. Maybe he's thinking in the wilderness, man, if only I would have raised my son better. He wouldn't be coming after to kill his own father. But no, what does he do? He comes and says, oh, God, you are my God, and I'm thirsting for you. You see, sometimes when we're in that wilderness, we sense that God may not be there. And it feels like he's not there. And may I say it like this? A sense of God's absence is a sense of God's presence. Would you read that with me? A sense of God's absence is a sense of God's presence. Like, like if he was never present before and he's missing, you would not know that he's missing. And so now when you have that, you sense that maybe God's not there. And you feel all alone out there. Let me tell you, God is there. And he is with you. And he's moving. And he's doing things that you never dreamed possible. And you don't even know it because it doesn't seem that way. It doesn't feel that way. And so what God is doing is he's telling you, remember, I came after you first. I'm the one who pursued you. You know, many times as you look at life, you'll, you'll see life and you'll say, man, it looks like God's just not there. In the meantime, he is. Several years ago, I'll never forget, probably about 15 years ago, I'll never forget, I was sitting on the front row and we're doing some worship time and and I just put my head back and all of a sudden the whole room started to spin. And I experienced a little bit of vertigo. Anybody ever have that? I know a couple of you have. Yeah, it's it's not a fun thing. And then I quickly, I, I, I didn't know what to do. I never had that happen. I was a young guy and I was like, Wait a minute, this is what old people do. And I was only 35 years old. And I looked down at the ground, and I tried to stop it. And 
I remember I come up on a stage, and I was not doing well that day. And then it kind of went away. But one thing I know is that the room was not spinning. It felt like it. My stomach felt like it. I mean, my head was telling my mind was telling me, this room is spinning. But I had to go to the truth of the matter. And then I went for a number of weeks where I kept having these episodes and kept having these episodes. Then I went to the doctor, and the doctor said, well, you know, well, I don't know what happened. They stopped somewhere along the line. But I know this, that whenever I saw the room spinning, and with my own eyes, the room was spinning, and it was going, I knew that the room was not spinning. And sometimes this happens to you and me. We're in the wilderness and we say, God is not here. It doesn't feel like it. It doesn't look like it. In the meantime, God is right with you. He's never leaving you. He's never going to forsake you. So a sense of his absence, even though you think he's not there, your desire, you're saying, man, I want him there. It's a sense of God's presence. Look here at Psalm 63, verse 2. He continues on, Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. He said, I have seen your glory. I've seen your power. God, I know what your power has done. I have seen it. And then he goes to this, to this heavy statement. He says, because your loving kindness is better than life. The love of God that has for me is better than life. In the very beginning, when you start coming to God, this is pretty much how we come to God. I have a need. And if God loves me, Maybe he'll meet that need. And that's so typical. And there's nothing wrong with that because that is our desire. We're coming, we're saying, I have a need. You know, God put Adam and Eve in the garden. Before Eve was there, Adam saw he had a need. So our needs draw us to see who can fulfill that need, and it is God. So sometimes we come, and that's our initial approach is just to say, God, you know, oh, and then, we, then you have this experience. You have this spiritual experience. God took care of me. I have peace now. I, I'm not lonely anymore. Uh, God is meeting these needs. And so you, you have this experiential change. And, and listen, God wants us to experience him. Don't just know about him, but know him. Oh, God, you are my God. The first step is always seeking in that direction. But then when you find him, God makes a change. And he takes you to understand what David said. You see, I think many of us, many times we get stuck at the very beginning stages. Well, God, if you love me, then you'll do this. And God says, I want you to understand something. My love is better than even the answers to the things you think you need. Did you catch that? My love is better than me saying yes to all your prayers. The loving kindness of God. Man, better than you getting the job promotion. Better than your health being solved. Better than that relationship is the love of God. And David says it here. He says, because your loving kindness is better than life, I will praise you. Jonathan Edwards, he wrote 
Sinners in the hand of an angry God. He wrote this statement. He said this. He said, True spiritual experiences are grounded in who God is, not on what he has done or what he will do. True spiritual experiences are founded on the moral excellency of divine things, not on any conceived relation they bear to self or to self-interest. And folks, if you want to get to know God, it's going to take a wilderness. And I don't like wilderness. It's going to take a wilderness. I've been with several people in our church who have had some really, really hard times. They've had some pretty big loss. And I have used this statement with them. I have said, you have met God face to face. You know what happens when you have that big crisis, you have that big issue in your life? All of a sudden, you get this opportunity to convene with God, to meet him, to know him personally, and to say, you are my God. Man, that's the, that's the toughest place is the wilderness. But when you get in there, you will find out that the loving kindness of God is better than if the healing came. Better than life. Better than everything. All those things that you were asking for, they were life. Better than my very life, better than my very breath is the loving kindness of God. And when, God, when you understand how much God loves you, it changes everything. You see, I, when you understand it, you have the loving kindness of God. You have his unconditional, this is an unconditional love of God. When you have that, now you don't have to perform for God. Isn't that cool? You don't have to perform for God to love you. God says, I love you with an everlasting love. I love you because I have chosen to love you. How can it be better than life? It's better than life because physical life can be lost, but the love of God can't be. I've got these knees that are starting to act up on me, right? I'm wearing the knees out. This body is going to be lost one day. It's, going to, it's not going to make it for eternity. The love of God is with me for eternity. Whether I made the right decisions or the wrong decisions, God loves me. And I want you to catch this. Just like John shared this morning about this, the, the, the boards that you're going to go out there and sign. I want to encourage everybody, put, uh, put a prayer on those today. But when Johnny set up there, the, these reclaimed pieces of wood, became claimed, and they're building a cross out of it. What a powerful visual, because that's the unconditional love of God. When your life falls apart, God still loves you. And we are so trained the opposite. We're trained that you earn everything. You earn your love. You earn this. You earn that. God says, I love you with an unconditional love. Paul said it like this. Paul said, I am persuaded that neither death nor life Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. So what do we do in the wilderness? We seek God. Earnestly we seek Him. And and then we turn your wilderness into worship, is what I want to encourage you to do. Read that with me. Turn your wilderness into worship. Go look at your wilderness. You're in that wilderness, and now you're going to come and you're going to take it, and you're going to turn it into worship. David was in the wilderness. His son's coming after him, and uh, he's hiding from all these people. And David turns his wilderness into worship. 
He said in verse 3, he said, I will praise you because of your, because of your loving kindness. My lips will praise you. Verse 4, he says, so I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. I will lift up my hands to you, Lord. My soul is satisfied with marrow and fatness. Don't you love some of the descriptive terms in the Old Testament? You know, does that mean a fat steak? That's what I'm thinking. It's rich food, right? He's using a metaphor here. My soul is satisfied, like with a good George Sheplick steak that you throw on the, on the grill, you know? You've got to adorn fat with fat, so you've got to put butter on top of it. That's what makes them taste really good, right? He's saying that. That's my desire for God. I mean, you look at the steak. Oh, yeah. Your mouth is watering. He says, that's what my soul is for God. My soul is satisfied with the richness of God. Nothing else. It comes from God. My mouth offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed. Oh, this is so big. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. When I remember you on my bed. I want to encourage you, when you lay down, to think about God. You know what it's so easy to do when you lay down? It's to think about everything else but God. To think about the flat tire you had on the car that day. To think about everything that went awry. When I lay down, he says, when I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night. There's something that happens as you get a little bit older. You don't quite sleep the whole night through. And you kind of start to wake up in the middle of the night. Because that's life, right? And I'll leave it at that. But you, what you say? In the middle of the night, I meditate on you and the night watches. As the night goes through, I'm not meditating on my problem. I'm not meditating on my loss. David's saying I'm not meditating on the fact that my son wants to kill me. I'm meditating on my God. And the night watches. There was a a fellow by the name of Elmer Towns. He was the co-founder of Liberty University. Been, he's written numerous books, probably 70, 80 books the man's written. I was at a gathering, and I heard Elmer Towns talk about this just a few few months ago. And he stood up, and, you know, he's in his 80s now, and he, uh, he lives up on the mountain. So Liberty University is on, on the campus. He lives up on a mountain that overlooks it. And, he tell, and he's telling this story. He says, you know, I, I go to bed, and then I have to wake up at 3 in the morning because I have to go to the bathroom. I was like, well, thanks for that relevant information. He says, and when I do, I meditate on God. He said, God allows me to go to the bathroom at 3 in the morning so that I can think about the things of God. Then he says, he looks out his window and he sees that campus and he gets down on his knees and he prays over that campus and says, Lord, do your work, do your will, protect those students. And he prays for those kids. Then he goes back to bed. You know what many of us do when we've had those type of days? Maybe you woke up in the middle of the night. Google search. Oh, I had this pain in my right leg. Right leg pain means that you could have right leg pain. And if you let right leg pain go untreated, then we go to pieces. God says, I meditate you. David says to God, I meditate on you in the night watches. I meditate on you through the night. Folks, you have to remember who God is 
day and night. For you have been my help. Verse 7, you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. He gives, in those verses there, he gives seven ways that he blesses God. He says, first of all, he's going to bless God with his lips. In verse 3, he said, my lips will praise you. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. And verse 4, he says, with his tongue, he said, I will bless you as long as I live. Uh, He continues on, I will lift up my hands. So he's using his hands, he's using his tongue, his lips, his hands. I will lift up my name, lift up my hands into your name. Uh, Quite often I'll sing sometimes in church with my hands raised on a particular song. I tell people, you know why I raised my hands? Because I got the right answer. You know, when you were in school and a teacher called, you only raised your hand if you had the right answer. We got the right answer. It's Jesus. He's the answer. So when we're praising the Lord, I, I, sometimes I got that up. But it's not just what happens in church. We sing for 15 minutes a week here. That's all. He says, I want you to lift up your hands unto the Lord whenever your problems are coming. When you're in the wilderness, you lift up your hands to the Lord. Oh, God, please, I seek you earnestly, God. I can't handle this. And that's what he wants you to do. He says with his, his will, my soul is satisfied with marrow and fatness. Man, he, he's, he's taking his will, his soul. He says, man, I'm going, to, I'm going to be satisfied in Christ. His mouth, my mouth will, sh- will shall praise your, with joyful lips. My mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. So he's going to use his mouth to, to bless the Lord. Uh, he's going to use his memory. When I remember on my bed, I'm going to bless the Lord by remembering him. And you see, when you bless the Lord, your life is blessed. That's the big difference. You come to God and say, bless me, bless me, bless me. God says, I want you to bless me with your hands, your lips, your mouth, your will, your emotions, everything about you. He says, I meditate. He says, I'm going to use my mind, my, my intellect. God's given you an incredible mind. Use it for him. But you start with him. My soul clings to you, verse 8. My soul clings to your hand. Your right hand upholds me. Cling to God like a little kid clings to his parents. And that's what God's calling us to do. We just cling right to him. Today I want to encourage you. As you read the rest of the chapter, he looks at what happens to my enemies. And he brings it all back to God. And as he wraps up, He says, the king will rejoice in God. Verse 11, he says, the king will rejoice in God. King David, he's talking about himself. I will rejoice in God. And I want to encourage you today. Maybe you've been struggling with a spiritual appetite. You know, a spiritual appetite is a key indicator that you are a follower of Christ. If you're not hungry, something's wrong. If you're not hungry... If you're not saying, man, I'm thirsty for that. So what we got to do, we, we, have to, we have to guard that appetite. We have to take care of that appetite. I have to keep feeding it the right things. Here's a couple thoughts on your spiritual appetite. Number one, don't ruin your spiritual appetite. Don't spoil your spiritual appetite. Do you remember whenever you were young and you were having, having dinner? Mom made this great dinner, but she also made dessert. She said, don't eat any of the cookies until we have dinner. And you snuck in there and had a few cookies. Anybody ever do that? Yeah, once, twice, 
yeah, I've done it for a lifetime. You know what happens? You go in and eat all those cookies, and when that plate of all the real food comes out, the broccoli and the cauliflower and the chicken and the turkey, you're not hungry because you've ruined your appetite. And I want to encourage you, don't ruin your spiritual appetite. Here's a couple ways that we ruin the spiritual appetite. Number one is our sin. Listen, sin is destructive. It destroys you. It destroys your family. It destroys everything. Don't ruin your spiritual appetite with sin. If you go and you eat of sin, you're not going to be hungry for God. This is what's happening in life, folks. This is the reality of life. If you feed yourself on sin and the things of the world, you'll never be hungry for God because you already had cookies. Um, don't ruin your spiritual appetite. You know, there's, there's a number of things that you can substitute in your life for God. Sex, money, and power. Those are three big things. You can come and you can say, man, I'm hungry for God, and then you substitute that hunger for God with sex. You substitute that hunger for God with money. You substitute that for power. Man, I'm in charge, and look what I got to do. God says, man, you missed it. Don't ruin your spiritual appetite. Hunger after me. And God will take care of all those other things. Read about God's word. Discover who he is. Discover God's attributes. When I say all of them, most people know that God is love. Few people have studied his holiness. Study his holiness. Study his justice. Study his mercy, his grace, his love. Study everything about him. Get into this word and begin to pray it back. What you do is you look at a past and you see, God, you are holy. And you pray it back and say, God, because you're holy, I have revealed today my shortcomings. God, I need you. So discover all of God's attributes and begin to pray them back. Remember, the only reason that you are thirsty is because he's already found you. So you come in and you get into his word and you start to discover, listen, there's things about God that I don't understand, things that are uncomfortable as I come to his word. And you've got to come to him and say, okay, God, I want to know you because your loving kindness is better than life. I want to know you. Pray his attributes back to him. And when you do that, you begin to seek him earnestly. And I want to encourage you, make that. Earnestly seek him because he's already found you. And God will transform your life. Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe, maybe this morning you've, you're in a wilderness. Um, if you're not in a wilderness yet, you will be soon. Because that's where God grows his children. And he's never left you. The room may look like it's spinning, but he has never left you. He'll never forsake his children. He says, I will never forsake you. His loving kindness is better than life. So today, maybe you need to start that relationship with God. Maybe you have not, you've not surrendered to God. You're a sinner and you need a Savior. Jesus paid for your sin he died on the cross. He rose again so that you can have eternal life. And today, I want to invite you to trust him. Just start, and that's where it starts. Just, just pray something like this. Dear God, I, I need you. 
Jesus, you died on the cross. You paid for my sin. You came back to life again. I now accept your offer of love and kindness, Lord. Thank you for finding me today. I invite you into my life. I invite you into my soul. And for others, maybe you've You've been doing good. You know a lot about God, but maybe you haven't developed that relationship with God. Do you know him personally? How often do you talk to him? Do you thirst for him like for water in a dry land, like in a desert? Do you, do you have that thirst for him? Maybe you're thirsty because you sense his absence. Maybe you're looking at your problems. You think he's absent. May I remind you that God is there. Call on him. Say, God, I earnestly seek you today. God, you are my God. Make him personal. Father, I pray you'll come before this group today, Lord, and transform us from the inside out. What only you can do. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you that you led David into the wilderness. And as he called upon you, he wasn't even... Looking for life, he was looking for you. God, take us to that same desire to seek you, that you are better than all the things that you give us. In your name we pray. Amen. Please stand with us before we leave today. We'll close with our God again, just singing and praising his name. So we carry it through the week with us, okay? Praise his name this morning.